0: Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, I guess we'd give that a 7, wouldn't we? (laughs) It was in 605 BC that the Palestinians, that Palestine was invaded by the Babylonian army. The Babylonians conquered the land, and they took the brightest young people in Palestine as captives back to Babylon. Three of those young men were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the Bible refers to that as youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. So that was the description of these young people who were taken back as captives to Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As was customary, their names were changed. Hananiah, which means God is gracious, was changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, the Babylonian moon god. Mishael was changed to Meshach. Mishael means God is our resemblance. Meshach means who is like Aku. Azariah was changed to Abednego. Azariah means God is my helper. Abednego means servant of the gods. So these three young men, along with others, were taken captive back to Babylon, and their names were changed. Though their names were changed, what I want you to understand is that their hearts were not. They never forgot their history. They never forgot their heritage. They never forgot their commitment to God. And young people, I would say to you that that is an important lesson for you. Because sometimes we think, I want to leave everything I have been taught. I want to leave my tradition. I want to leave behind my heritage, my history, and go on into something else. But what you should understand is that your future is going to be greatly impacted by your past, and who you are in your heart is going to largely determine where you go in life. So we're going to look at these three young men today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold the height of which was sixty cubits and its width six cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire, Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Our story begins with the celebration. It is described there in verse number 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold the height of which was 60 cubits, its width 6 cubits, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So the king then has established this statue. It is to commemorate his success. It was a magnificent statue. It was 90 feet high. It was 9 feet across. Matthew Henry said, It exceeded the ordinary stature of a man Fifteen times. So this was an enormous statue that he had set up, and it was also gold-plated. Now then, there is a command that is given there in verse number 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed to you, the command is given, O peoples, nations and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Now, understand that the Babylonians were polytheistic. They worshipped many gods. And the king would determine the god of focus. So whenever there was a new king, normally there was also a new god. Because the king determined the god of focus. So Nebuchadnezzar here is establishing his own form of worship. He has erected the statue. He says you are to bow down to this statue. So he is establishing the kind of worship that he is going to support. This then was a call to worship. So he is saying no matter what God you have worshipped in the past, this is going to be the God that you are going to worship now. And at the moment you hear the music begin to play, then in unison, you all are to bow down to worship. So that was a symbol of unity, that they were unified in their worship. When you hear the music begin to play, then everyone is to fall down in unison and worship. Now he continues in verse number 6. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into the midst Of a furnace of blazing fire. Folks, this is one of the characteristics of a false worship. It always uses intimidation, fear, threat to get the people to do what it wants them to do. It always uses threat. And that's what you see here. If you do not bow down and worship, then you are going to be cast into the... Burning, fiery furnace. You see, that same tactic was used concerning Daniel. The decree was given that no one was to pray for a period of 30 days except to Darius. The Bible says in Daniel 6-7, All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction... That anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. So we have that same threat with Daniel. If anyone prays to any god other than Darius for a period of thirty days, then that person is going to be placed in the lion's den. There is that threat. False religion always comes with a threat. The same thing is true with the disciples. The disciples were told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So it was said to the disciples who were preaching in the name of Jesus, if you continue to preach in His name, then you are going to be placed in prison. Today, false religion continues to use threats. Threats to force us to do what false religion wants us to do. That if you do not do what you are told to do, if you do not worship as you are told to worship, then there are going to be consequences to you bodily. There are going to be consequences to you financially. In some way, you are going to suffer the consequences because it always comes with a threat. Now, when it does, then a choice has to be made. So when someone in authority says that if you do not do this, then there are consequences, you then have to make a choice. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now had to make a choice. They were told that if you do not fall down in worship as Nebuchadnezzar has instructed, then you're going to go to the fiery furnace. They had to make a choice. Look at verse number 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, put yourself in their position. They have just been told that if you do not worship, the image that Nebuchadnezzar has established for worship, then you're going to go into the fiery furnace. Well, they could have compromised. Don't you imagine that they must have thought, well, you know, everyone else is bowing down. If it doesn't hurt anyone, then what's the big deal? I can bow down and not really mean it. Not in my heart. I'll just do it this one time. I'll just bow down this one time. They could have compromised, but they had to make a choice as to whether or not they were going to bow down to the image that had been established. Daniel had to make a choice. The decree came that if anyone prayed to any god other than Darius for a period of 30 days, that they would be put in the lion's den. So he had to make a choice. The disciples had to make a choice. They were told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They had to make a choice. And the Bible says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Ladies and gentlemen, you also have to make a choice. There are false religions, false gods who say to you that you must worship in this way, you must worship this God, you must believe this or you must do that. And then you have to make a choice. And there are consequences to the choice. You look at verse number 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? You see, the truth is, the king had been kind to them. Here are these three young men who were taken captive, and the king had elevated them to a position of authority. He had elevated them in their status. So the king had been kind to them, and now then they are being disobedient to him. Now, that makes it even tougher, doesn't it? When someone has been nice to you, then it is even more difficult to do what you believe God wants you to do. And that was their situation. So the king now even gives them a second chance. You look in verse number 15. Now if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, dragon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? So the king says, okay, I understand that you are not worshiping as I have instructed you to worship. Now, we're going to do this again. And the music is going to play again. This is just for you. The orchestra is going to play again just for you. And now, then, you are going to have another opportunity. I will forgive you if uh, if you bow down. Then I'm going to forgive you. We'll put this behind us. If not, then you're going to be placed in the burning fiery furnace. In other words, what the king is saying is that this is this is turn or burn time. I mean, you are going to you're going to get this right, or you're going to go to the furnace. And so it was a choice that had to be made. And the confidence they had absolutely amazes me. Look at verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. There was no deliberation. They didn't say, you know, well, let's, let's think about this a while. Let's, let's talk about this. A while. What they said was is that we've already decided this issue. This is an issue that has already been decided. We don't need to think about it. It's already decided. They didn't get together and say, is there a way that we can say this that will be a little more palatable to the king? so, So they didn't come up with a spin on it. They just said, we've already decided what we are going to do. We are not going to bow down and worship your false god. And then in verse number 17, "...if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king." In other words, what they are saying is that we are going to worship the God of Israel. We are going to worship the true God. We are going to serve Him and Him alone. And we have assurance that He is able to deliver us. I don't know if that impresses you, but it impresses me. If I am faced with you are going to suffer this if you do this... And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came back and said, No, we are not going to do that. We are going to serve God, the true God, and we believe He has the power to deliver us. I mean, how many of us, honestly, have have buckled under the threat of the IRS? They're just going to get your money. They're not going to throw you in the furnace. They might throw you in jail. But there's so many little things. You, you students, sometimes you you fold because of um, you're scared someone won't like what you're doing. That that if you take a stand for God, you fold. And yet I look at these three young men, and they say, "No, we are going to worship the true God, and we have assurance." That He can deliver us. And then in verse number 18, But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, they are saying we have to obey God. He is the true God and we are committed to Him. And we have to obey Him. And even if you throw us into the furnace and we die, so be it. Even if we have to give our lives, we are committed to that extent that we are going to serve God, even if it costs us our lives. So, the story begins with a celebration. Nebuchadnezzar has established his worship. Where did these three young men get such courage? I mean, I'd like to have that kind of courage. Where did they get such courage? I know that some people, have, and I've listened to this, and some people say, well... You know, courage comes out of circumstances, a certain circumstance, and then you're courageous. Well, as I thought about that, I think that circumstances can bring about an act of courage, but it does not bring about a courageous heart. You see, if the circumstances is such, sometimes it can can generate an act of courage, but does not mean that the person is actually courageous. And I say that because circumstances are so short-lived. They always are. No matter what they are, they are short-lived. They're always changing. Now, I remember one time Raph Smith, who was a pastor in Austin, and he was talking to me. He said, Wendell, how's, how, how's everything going? I said, "Ralph's going good. He said, well, that's good. He said, because if it's going good, it's going to get bad. <laughs> he said, but if the good thing is, if it's going bad, it's going to get good. Things are just always changing. Circumstances change. And and when I look at these three young men, their circumstances had been favorable. There in verse number 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the providence of Babylon. So they had been in a position of authority. They had been in a position of prestige. So their circumstances were favorable. The same thing was true with Job before he began to suffer. In fact, Satan accused uh, him, Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. Speaking, Speaking of God, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. The reason that he is serving you is because, God, you have blessed him. In other words, his circumstances were favorable. But do you notice how quickly things go from favorable to unfavorable? There in verse number 15b, If you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace, a blazing fire, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands. I mean, here are these three young men. They were, they were in a position of authority, but then Nebuchadnezzar said, But if you don't bow down and worship me, then you're going into the fire, and there's nothing God can do about it. There's no God going to save you. There's nothing God can do about it. So immediately, they go from a favorable position to an unfavorable position all the same day. Look at Job, how quickly his circumstances changed. Now here he was prosperous, he was blessed, he had all of this. And then the Bible says, and then came the messenger and says, the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans have uh, taken away your possessions, your animals and your cattle and so forth. And then before he got through talking, there was someone else who came and said there was a storm and your kids were killed. And then he lost his health. He lost everything. But, folks, what I want you to understand is that circumstances change quickly. And you all know that. I mean, you're riding high one day and the next day, uh, you know, you can, you can sit on the curb and dangle your feet. I mean, things change quickly. Things just don't stay the way that they are. So in verse number 17 it says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand. They said, you know, King, you might be in authority and you might have the power, but our God, whom we serve, is able. Now, ladies and gentlemen, oftentimes we are timid. We are intimidated because we do not believe that our God is able. Our God is able. That's what they said. Truth is, God uses all circumstances for His purposes. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James wrote, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Paul wrote, We know that all things work together for good. You see, where do circumstances then, the circumstances of your life, where do they fit in in God's plan? Well, circumstances are used by God for His purposes. I I see it like this, like a, a blacksmith who takes a piece of iron and puts it in the fire so that he can mold it into something that is useful. Like a soldier goes through boot camp so that soldier can become a soldier, a warrior. So God then uses the circumstances in our life to mold us, to prepare us for His purposes. God uses circumstances to reveal the focus of our faith. And the fact is, sometimes whenever we are going through tough times, we realize that our faith is in the wrong place. I wonder how many of us would say if we were honest about it, well, you know, truth is, concerning my health, my faith is in science and science alone. Concerning my finances, my faith is in the stock market, and I really rely upon that. There is only one worthy focus for your faith, and that is God. The psalmist wrote, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see, circumstances, whenever we get in these circumstances of life, they more than anything else reveal to us really and truly where our faith is. When things are going pretty good, we trust God, don't we? But when things are not... We begin to look elsewhere, you know, because that's where our faith is. Our faith needs to be in God. God uses circumstances to teach truth. And here He taught them of His presence. He taught them of His power. He taught them of His provision. When they were in the furnace, and they did go to the furnace, and sometimes God does not deliver us from the furnace. He delivers us in the furnace. And when they were in the furnace and the king looked in there and said, I thought we put three guys in there. You, well, we did king." Okay. He says, well, then who's that fourth one? There's one in there that looks like son of God to me. Because God was there. He was present with his children. He was powerful to protect them. The world is not the winner, ladies and gentlemen, whenever the world, even though the world establishes false gods for you to bow down to, the world is not the winner. The people of God are. Paul said, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. And I look at these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I look at these three young men. They were men of courage, and they were victors, and we still today celebrate their victory. In verse number 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The thing I sort of like about that is that Nebuchadnezzar didn't sing there, didn't stand there singing 14 verses of Just as I Am, saying, why don't y'all come out? They responded rather quickly. I mean, they are not burning, but whenever the invitation was extended, they immediately walked the aisle. They responded to God's invitation in verse number 27. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed. Linda's gone to hairdressers with worse results. (laughs) They're in the furnace and the Bible says that their hair is not singed. Their trousers were not damaged, nor did they have the smell of fire even upon them. Their clothes were not burned. Their hair was not singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. You can stand outside a lot of churches and smell more like smoke than they did. (laughs) They conquered. The psalmist said, through God we shall do valiantly, and it is He who will tread down our adversaries. And ladies and gentlemen, here is the thing. When God gives such victory, then God receives glory. Look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's commands and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Matthew Henry wrote, The king does himself acknowledge and adore him, and thinks it is fit that he should be acknowledged and adored by all. No matter what your circumstances are, God wants to see you through it. And if you walk with God, then God receives glory. Let me conclude. This story to me is a reminder, something we need to remember. First of all, remember your connection. Look at verse 17. If it be so, our God. We are connected to God through faith. If you know Jesus Christ, then you are connected to God. Our God. He goes on in that same verse. Remember who is in control. He is able. He is able. Our God is able to bring you through the fiery furnace. You're connected to Him. Because he is in control. And remember your commitment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made a commitment to God back in chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. They made a commitment and they kept the commitment. Let me ask you a question. Have you made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. Have you made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ? If your answer is, no, I haven't, then will you? Will you make that commitment to Him? Put your faith in Christ, and the Bible says that He forgives you of sin, you become a child of God. You're born again. If you have made a commitment to God, are you committed? When the world says you're to do this or you're to do that, are you committed to God? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that should be a commitment you make before you're tempted not to do it. Our gracious Father, we thank You for the commitment of these three young men. We thank You for the courage that they had. And, Lord, I pray for courage today just for people to respond to You, walking a friendly aisle, making a commitment of their lives to You, Father, I pray for Christians who are struggling with the depth of their commitment. I pray, Father, that today they will be obedient to You. But Lord, as we extend this invitation, I pray Your Holy Spirit will draw people unto unto Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Let me ask you to stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir will sing. As they sing, would you come today making your commitment, a courageous stand for Christ. You come, I'll greet you as you do.